0: CJAM 99.1 FM programming is hosted almost exclusively by community volunteers. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are that of the host and their guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of CJAM FM. For more information and resources, visit our website at cjam.ca.
1: Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on C Jam's Handylink. You're listening to Handylink on C Jam ninety nine point one FM, reaching high ground in
2: Windsor, Detroit. <laughs>
3: Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor, Essex. For more information, check out ICHA Windsor On on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Our first interview was a post dated one, so some of the events referred to may already have happened. In this segment of our show, Premkar will be telling us a little bit about cavernous malformations. So if you could introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about your work in uh, cavernous malformations, that would be great.
4: Hi, my name is Edith Kehoe. Uh, I am the Canadian lead for Angioma Alliance Canada. Um, I do not have cavernous malformations. It's a medical disease disease that affects uh, several members of my family, which is how I became involved uh, with the association uh, almost 10 years ago now. Prem?
0: Hello, my name is uh, Prem Kaur. I am the Western Canada coordinator for Angioma Alliance Canada. And um, so part of my role is to uh, advocate, educate, inform, support of uh, people with cavernous malformations and uh, their families and loved ones, and um, I'm also a person that has the disease of uh, cavernous malformation, and um, yeah, that's a little
4: bit about me.
3: So, for those who might not be as familiar, tell me a little bit about how cavernous malformations can affect a person. Sure. Uh,
4: so, cavernous malformations are abnormal small capillaries in the brain. They're very weak capillaries in the brain, which can uh, ooze or bleed. And depending on the size, location, and the severity of the um, eating, it can cause a number of symptoms or side effects ranging from headaches um, to seizures uh, to paralysis and other um, disabilities that would be associated with an acquired brain injury. Prim can maybe offer a little bit more from her perspective as someone who's actually got the disease. No, that was a great explanation, Edith, but uh, just a couple other things is, um, so uh, uh, yeah,
0: and to expand as well, um, some people may have um, some focal neurological uh, concerns, which may include a vast array of things from numbness and tingling to uh, um, doubled vision, uh, impacts their vision, Um, weakness in um, an area of their body especially depending where the cavernous malformation is located in their brain and some people have uh, one which is uh, we refer to as a spontaneous uh, cavernous malformation most times and uh, some people also have a familial type of the disease which um, has been identified uh, um, to be a possibility for many patients also sometimes patients who don't have any kind of bleed or oozing just may have a very large volume of, um, of cavernous malformations, sometimes referred to as lesions, uh, in the brain. And by simply having those many in their brain, sometimes they experience some symptoms like fatigue, headaches, um, other sorts of uh, symptoms similar to that. So. And, um, and unfortunately, probably the worst outcome of uh, cavernous malformation is when they bleed and bleed into the, um, the rest of the brain, which is then therefore a hemorrhagic stroke. But that is like the worst uh, case scenario.
3: So with uh, all the side symptoms you mentioned, is there ever a risk of misdiagnosis or uh, doctors Mm -hmm. labeling it as something else?
4: Absolutely. Uh, um, cavernous malformations are not something that you can just see by looking at a patient. You can't diagnose just by observing. Um, The patient has to uh, have an MRI uh, in mo- most cases in order to diagnose the disease because it doesn't show up on other types of testing. So an angiogram, which is commonly used um, when a stroke is suspected um, and, and might you know show that there's an aneurysm or that there's a blockage in the brain, um, will not tell you whether or not you've got cavernous malformations because they're such small blood vessels that they don't appear on an angiogram. A CT scan, which is another very common diagnosis diagnostic tool um will only show a cavernous malformation if there is an overt hemorrhage and if it's recent. So if you had a hemorrhage a year ago and you're only now having your CT scan, it might not show up. So the MRI, and and even when we're talking about an MRI, we're talking about one of the more powerful machines, one of the more modern ones with a, a certain type of sequencing, is the most effective diagnostic tool for determining that someone has the disease. Um, Oftentimes people who are diagnosed with cavernous malformations almost by accident, uh, we call them incidental findings. Uh, a patient goes to see the doctor because they're having a problem with their hearing uh, or their balance. Um, doctor probably suspects that they might have MS or, or some other kind of disease. They go for the MRI expecting that that's what it's going to, to be looking for and show. And instead what they find is that they have a cavernous malformation. So it, it is often um, diagnosed incidentally and And the symptoms are really no different than what might be seen if you had any other type of a wire brain injury, Um, whether that would be a a tumor or um, uh, there are other conditions called AVMs and, and arteriovenous malformations, developmental venous anomalies, DVAs, And the symptoms might present very similarly likewise with an aneurysm so a CCM is considered a a rare disease Um, the data suggests that it could be anywhere from two to eight percent of the population that has it but really most of the research has only been done in the last 10 to 15 years so our body of knowledge about it and and what doctors know about it uh, including specialists like neurologists and neurosurgeons is really um, very recent And, and so it's it's one of those fields of medicine, where um, we're really just beginning to understand how the disease works. So. Those are great points, Edith. And one just thing I want to add to is um,
0: that um, so the, the reality is too that the challenges can expand to uh, when, when individuals are living in rural or remote areas. And you know, I think about um, so this disease can at times impact infants, children like all ages. And so I think about you know, a, a child presenting with a headache in a remote area that may not have access to MRI and that's why it's so critically important that with this rare disease that we the work that we do and and others to spread awareness and educate and support and advocate for people about the disease is just so they might know the possibility even because as Edith was talking about for instance as I'm talking about uh, a child goes to an emergency room with a headache could be a multitude of things and if it's a cavernous malformation the impact of that would be a totally different outcome than something else causing a headache without the access to images and or specialists that have um, knowledge about this rare disease and and that sort of thing. We are really um, you know looking at situations that um, could impact the treatment outcomes for these patients.
3: So, are there any steps? that uh, those who suspect this might be a problem they're having take just in terms of education and preparedness?
4: It's a really good question, Um, especially because I think it's probably not something that people would even be aware of if they didn't have a family member or a friend who was diagnosed with the disease. Um, My husband was diagnosed 28 years ago. I probably wouldn't have known about it except that his nephew had been diagnosed a few years before that. And, and until then, I had never heard of this disease. Um, it, uh, uh, as we said before, it's not something that you would, you know, be able to look at a person and say, ah, that person must ha- may have a cavernous malformation. So um, I think that the more that we as patients can do to educate ourselves about our bodies, about our health, about um, taking care of um, our own medical files uh, is really critically important. And, you know, the internet gives us a great resource in terms of doing a little bit of of research through Dr. Google and shows such as your own camera are really important in terms of getting the word out about diseases like uh, cerebral cavernous malformations, Uh, I know that um, when my nephew was diagnosed almost 40 years ago now, um, the first thing that his parents thought was, oh my God, my child, my baby, he was only five months old. They thought he was going to die. They thought it was cancer. And, and you know, we've come a long way in the last 40 years, but it's still a shock for a parent with a small child. It's still a shock for a grown up to get told you have something in your brain that uh, maybe doesn't belong there and it could hemorrhage and it could cause side effects and it could develop seizures or paralysis, it's very scary. And I think that the more that we can do to educate and inform people about the disease, um, the better it is. And the more that we can do to educate the medical uh, system about it, because as I said before, many doctors have never heard of it. And when they do, that what they know is, is based on information from 30 or 40 years ago, so when they were in medical school. So it's really important for us to increase awareness. And understanding, yeah, I'd for sure.
3: like to thank you both for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure. Yep, sure can. In this segment of our show, Elizabeth Attenberger will be sharing a little bit of her disability story. So, can you tell me a little bit about your disability story? Well, I was born with Williams Syndrome.
1: It is a chromosomal illness. Uh, I have had this ever since I've been little. I try to get out and do things as much as possible. There's a lot of things that do get affected by this chromosome illness, like the heart and kidneys and spine and heart. So there's a lot that, that happens when you when you have this. Uh, as you probably know, people with Williams Syndrome are very social. There's only uh, 1 in 10,000 people that uh, get diagnosed with this illness every year. I try to s- spread it Awareness through um, a uh, a group that I am with, and it's called uh, Best Buddies. From uh, it's it's done in the University of uh, Western Ontario. It's a bunch of students that get involved with or and paired with people who have intellectual disabilities. I try to raise awareness of not just Williams syndrome but bullying as well. So So I try to give back
3: as much as I can to my community. So with your diagnosis, what are some of the coping strategies you've used to uh, deal with having the condition and still being out in the community, raising awareness?
1: I try and go for walks every day. I try to, I'm going to a group now for um, pain management because I am having a lot of pain with my body and stuff so and I try to go to different classes try to get out into the community I'm also involved with a group called Hutton House as well they are a, um, a great organization they have um, they have different programs for like day programs they have ladies group they have men's group they have Diamond painting, uh, pottery, all those kinds of things. So those are the things that I really enjoy doing. So going to those classes is a lot of fun. Unfortunately, they were not able to help me with my job journey. They Just a few weeks ago, they um, decided that they were no longer capable of, of helping me with my job search. So now I've had to go to a new place called ATM. They are um, specifically involved with people who have disabilities. So having to start over, it made me very sad because I gave so much of myself and I felt like I was being given up on. And I, I, I guess I just felt really lost and really sad. But I realized that change is sometimes a good thing. Learning something new is always a good thing. So this is my opportunity to, to learn new new skills and who knows so. what I'll be able to do. I just want to help people and let them know how, what it's like to have a disability and to, to maybe change their way of thinking the so. way that they do think because there's a lot of people that have the thought that they can catch things from us, which is not true at all. That's just a myth. That's not even real. And uh, I think by educating others, you change how they view things. I just had a friend the other day tell me how important it was that they were my friend and they got to know what Williams Syndrome is and how, how they're very much inspired by me. So, so those are the things that I look forward to. Those are the things that I hold on to when when I'm having a rough time.
3: So, in terms of your job journey, what would you like the public to know about a person with a disability's right to work? What would be the ideal outcome for you?
1: Well, the ideal outcome would be to find a a good boss, someone that I can trust, someone that I can confide in, someone that is maybe more educated with disabilities so that it makes it an easier... um, decision for them to to decide to hire someone with a disability. I think it's a great opportunity for them to learn something new from someone else. They get to kind of see how we view the world and how we function in, in a job. Yes, we may have things that need accommodations and things like that, but all in all, if I'm able to get up every day, go on the bus, be responsible, be there and work and do my job, then that's what the most important thing is for me, and sometimes that can be really hard to find is as a as a good employer because because you it's a lot of people have that stigma again. It's someone that has a disability. How do I know they're going to be you the job right or that kind of thing? So that's why it's important to have agencies that can be there to support you and to help you and to kind of educate your potential employers so that they have an easier ability to hire someone like us. So
3: in that sense, uh, do you have anything you'd like to say to all the employers out there who should look at the person rather than the statistics, so to speak?
1: I think it's very Im- important for an employer to have an open mind and to kind of try and think, how would how would I feel if I were in their shoe? You need to put the shoe on the other foot in order in order to kind of understand where we're trying to come from because we do have skills we're very smart we learn it's not like we're not capable of learning so i think that's the thing that people need to realize all we want is to to fit in and to be accepted just like we do in normal society which is sometimes a very difficult thing to do as well because of the way people judge us so that that can cause all kinds of problems where people become very isolated. They actually become more um, afraid or uneasy around people that they don't know. And it makes them have social anxiety. I have that sometimes. So I guess the thing is that what I'm saying is it's important to give us a chance to we're just as capable as anyone else. We just have Differences because of the way that that we're made it's not our fault it's just the way that we are all we want is the opportunity to show you guys how capable we really are
3: like thank you for taking the time out to do this but if you can stay on the line for a sec that'd be great handy link will be right back after these commercial messages stay tuned
2: Did you know CGM collaborates with clubs and organizations, both on the University of Windsor campus and in the general Windsor Access community? There are a bunch of different ways your group can collaborate with CGM to help bring it more attention, but also make your current group project a little easier. We can schedule an interview to help the community learn more about your club or organization. Don't worry, the interview can be pre-recorded, so have no fear of misspeaking. If you're looking for a smaller way to advertise something special with your group, look no further. We can create PSAs for events, fundraisers, volunteer calls, new clubs, and more. We have you covered. Then there's events. If your group is struggling to get everything accounted for with your event, why not collaborate with CGM? We can help gather volunteers, secure a venue, equipment, catering, and more. Save yourself the stress of setting up your event while creating a new connection. Interested or just have questions? Email us at info.cgmfm at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you soon.
3: Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out I-C-H-A, Windsor-On, on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Prem Carr told us a little bit about cavernous malformations, and Elizabeth Attenberger told us a little bit about her experiences with Williams Syndrome. This next interview is a post-dated one, so some of the events referred to may already have happened. In this segment of our show, Nicole Daniel will be giving us an update on her yoga program.
5: So, can you tell me a little bit about your latest adapted yoga work? Yes, Cam, and thank you again, as always, for this opportunity. Um, as your listeners may or may not know, I've got a website that can kind of give them all of this information in a nice, uh, concise place. So if they go to cocoyoga.ca, that's my website, cocoyoga.ca. And I now have also a Instagram page, which is new for me. So that's Cocoa yoga wellness on Instagram. So thank you so much. So that'll kind of give you guys uh, a chance to, you know, find out where to register and all that kind of stuff. Um, ICHA, the Italian Canadian Handy Association. Our classes are continuing on until the end of June. And then, of course, they start up again after summer break in September. Those are a great opportunity for people of all different levels, uh, adults with special needs to um, participate not only in yoga, of course, but there's also bocce and soccer and all kinds of wonderful events that take place through there so i encourage people to go to my website and find out how to attend those classes even this last uh couple of months till the end of june that would be fantastic we have so much fun and um community living camp has been ongoing consistently as well uh through community living people can see me in a group format online and as the nice weather comes more and more we're going to once again meet outdoors in like park situations like we did last year and have some in-person classes. So just want to encourage people who might be involved with community living to ask about yoga and and be just, you know, keep, keep their eye out on my website and my Instagram for those upcoming events as well. I also want to share with you and your listeners that I am back as well in a private setting Uh, Prior to lockdowns, I had an office in the Jackson Park Health Center where I had group and private classes and did my um, healing touch therapy sessions as well as the yoga. And that kind of all closed down when when lockdowns took place. I ended up letting go of that office space. So I'm now recently back with a small space that I can invite groups, um, you know, small groups, semi-private groups and private individuals. So I've been really loving seeing a lot of my students who went to online during all those lockdowns. My, my special needs students, many of them st- consistent with their practice, but through the computer screen and with the assistance of their worker in their homes. But now I can see them again in a space. So I'm very happy to let people know about that. And again, it's all through my website that you can find out about all that. Sure. And you know, just, just if you don't mind me just wrapping up for anyone who's interested in taking yoga with me, who might not necessarily uh, need those modifications. Now, I always do offer, uh, no matter what type of class you're coming to, I always offer modifications. But my class is at the university, and, you know, this is on CJAM, so I'm assuming maybe there's some University of Windsor Listeners, uh, anyone in, in Windsor, student or not, can participate in the yoga classes that I teach there. And those spring sessions are starting up. So May, June is starting up real soon. It's going to be a nine-week session. Every semester, there's classes there. So those have all been in person again. Now we're coming on to our first year back. So, so I'm excited.
3: So I'm curious. Uh, how have you seen the students progress uh, through the classes within this this past session.
5: Well, uh, like if you're referring to during during lockdowns, is that what you mean?
3: No, I mean uh, just uh, in general with recent memory.
5: Yeah, so I, I'm I'm very pleased always with the progress of my of my students. Yoga practice helps us to have better control over our body and its mechanics better understanding of it better consciousness of it so as I think we've shared before in these wonderful interviews some of my clients might have very little to no mobility or perhaps have very little to no speech ability and despite this there is so much that yoga can do for the body not only the hands-on assisted yoga that I help kind of, you know, very, very, um, you know, maybe maybe an extremely stiff body, a body that needs a lot of assistance for moving, even just the slight physical things that I can do assisting with my own hands, the work we do with the mental capacity, the meditative aspect, the remembering, the learning left and right, the responding to various uh, repeated cues that as I see students, whether it's online or in person, because a lot of the vocalizations, you know, it just becomes familiar. So I'm seeing students now who, you know, and they've been practicing with me, some of them for a year, some of them for many years, but they have such a stronger ability to know right and left, um, to, to know how to help, for example, a caregiver to get dressed. So, and I try to share that with the caregivers often. What I'm hoping is that the wonderful stretching and strengthening that my clients are getting is benefiting anybody who's working with them in terms of you know getting in and out of wheelchairs or in and out of clothing in and out of uh, cars with their walker any kind of mobility um aspect is really helped when you know you're left from your right and you can respond to those kind of verbal cues and also to be able to you know relax your right hand as you put the right sleeve on and to be able to relax the left hand as you put the left sleeve on. Many of my students, when I met them, a lot of their muscles are very contracted, you know, hands balled in fists, elbows often always, you know, quite bent. And now I see, um, you know, that ability to fully extend an arm and the arm that I ask for. I'll have your right hand please sure. and to be given that right hand and for the arm to extend I hope that that then helps their caregiver to have more ease and getting them dressed and things like that I'm hoping that the work we're doing is bringing great you know quality of life to people they're much more comfortable and relaxed and aware in their body and the, in, the communication and interaction with others is wonderful because everybody is paying attention and listening and responding and working with each other here's my right hand you know it's uh it's a lovely thing to see that kind of ease of the body and consciousness of the body i think it's helpful to really have a feel of your body no matter how much your body can move or not
3: move so i'm guessing that uh as you alluded to earlier doing this in an outdoor setting would tend to have some extra benefits in terms of just peace of mind uh, sort of sense
5: well outdoor is always lovely just to have that fresh air um, that the indoor classes like the, the space I've created for my special needs students is a lovely indoor setting as well um of course you know it's lovely to be out in the nature but really as I've said for all these you know I've been teaching yoga for over 23 years and I've just always said to all my students You can do yoga anywhere. That's the beautiful thing about it. You don't need a fancy mat. You don't need a fancy anything. You just plunk down wherever you may be indoor, outdoor, you know, in your car. On a boat, on a train, right? At the beach, uh, in line at the grocery store, there's always an opportunity to sit or stand, maybe a little bit more proper and balanced, to notice the sounds and smells, whether they're indoors or outdoors, to be more present in your setting, to be more relaxed with your breath, to have that body awareness, you know, awareness of your patterns. Am I always leaning to my right? Why does my right hip always hurt?
3: Like to thank you for taking the time out to do this. My friends, I'm really grateful Elizabeth was able and willing to take the time to be a part of the show. But the fact is, when a person with a disability asks for the same dignity and respect that anyone else would be afforded, it our whole community. The fact is, if we don't speak to our own needs and those things which would make our lives better, people might not necessarily look and see that for themselves. Sometimes we have to be our own champions, our own advocates. This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal, so get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.